the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the coronavirus, and then John Malk from Malk and Baker are going to jo- is going to join us, and then we're going to talk to two authors, Jay and Laura Lafoon. That is coming up here on the Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. we got a great show planned for you today. As we said, John Malk from Malk and Baker. We're going to talk about uh, a particular court case that involves some Wheaton College students that was recently settled. Uh, we're going to talk to Jay and Laura LaFoon about their marriage book. And then a pastor friend of mine, Kurt Wiggins, he's going to come join us in the second hour. So glad to have you joining us today on this Wednesday. You might be thinking to yourself, isn't Ian normally there? Where's Ian Simpkins? Well, Ian, I'm glad that you asked. He is out uh, all week this week. Ian is uh, doing grad work, uh, grad school work. So as we've been joking, he's going to come back so smart and he is just going to help us all. And uh, we're excited for Ian to come back uh, while he's gone this week. We're going to have our time filled with uh, local ministry leaders, other pastors, and uh, hopefully you enjoy hearing from some of these uh, people. Uh, I do want to talk for a second here about the coronavirus, but before we do that, let me remind you that AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reform Church on Friday night, March 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Now, don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Tickets start at just $25, and VIP tickets are available for $49, and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more. So get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. So the coronavirus is something that I'm sure all of us are aware of. And there was this article yesterday at NBC News. It says Americans should prepare for coronavirus crisis in the U.S., the CDC says. Uh, It's not so much a question of if this will happen anymore, but rather more of a question of exactly when, one official said. Top U.S. public health officials said Tuesday that Americans should prepare for the spread of the coronavirus in communities across the country. He said uh, Nancy Messonnier, the head of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases, said it's not so much a question of if this will happen anymore, but rather a question of exactly when this will happen. Uh, And she went on to say, and also how many people in this country will have severe illness. Measures to contain the virus in the U.S. so far have involved restricting travel to and from China, the center of the outbreak, and isolating uh, cases identified so far in this country. Uh, But Messonnier said that evidence that the virus is spreading countries outside of Asia, such as Iran and Italy, has raised CDC's level of concern and expectation that will see spread. As of Tuesday, more than 300 cases had been reported in Italy. Iran had nearly 100 cases. And this uh, caused Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, to say 
when you start to see sustained transmission in other countries throughout the world, it's inevitable that it will come to the United States. Another uh, story says uh, reminds us that the Dow Jones falls uh, fell 900 points the other day uh, amidst fears of the coronavirus. President Trump, in fact, tweeted the coronavirus is much, very much under control in the U.S. Stock market's starting to look very good to me. Uh, but in Wall Street, it said plunged for a second day on Tuesday with the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropping more than 900 points after U.S. officials warned the spread of the coronavirus to America was not a matter of if, but when. And so these two stories combine. Uh, and my question is, uh, does this cause you uh, great fear? Uh, what is your level of fear? Let's check with our producer, John. High level of fear, low level of fear. What are you, 25 years old? Okay, is there a difference in your mind to fear and concern? Uh, A little bit. They're pretty much the same, but I would say concern probably is a little more rational than fear. That's a rational fear. Concern, it's it's in the back of your mind for some self-preservation and a maybe even just a little makeshift plan as to what you will do. Right. If there is, because uh, I'm sure there are people, my sister is a, is a research biologist and she is always oh, wow. planning for like a decade ahead of time on uh, what possible diseases are going to happen, what genetic mutations may occur, and how are we going to treat those. And I'm sure there are people uh, who are way smarter than me by not even in the same ballpark who are working on treatments for yes. this. Cause that's, that's, that's what they do. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure the gravity over in China or the countries that are suffering from this disease, but I, I like to think that, that, that over here we are uh, well prepared for something like this. Yeah. So they go on to say, uh, they just said, <laughs> Dr. William Schaffner, uh, <laughs> an infant, isn't that crazy? <laughs> And it's a it, double take. Like, wait. Uh, oh, exactly. No, no, no. Exactly. He's an infectious disease specialist at Vanderbilt University. said, uh, we should all be dusting off our pandemic preparedness plans and rehearse them. The core concept is social distancing. This means that business leaders, for example, should start considering who can work from home. Perhaps the time will come, experts say, to observe religious practices and ceremony at home rather than larger community gatherings at places of worship. And families should start asking themselves how they should handle a week or two at home without traveling for food, medicine or entertainment. Goes on to say that you might need to be prepared for schools being closed and other things. What the key word here is a lot of might, right? A lot of might and possibly. And I think uh, we would be foolish to be overly scared right now. We would also be foolish to be under uh, concerned at the moment. I think it's something that bears keeping an eye on. But what I want to spend the rest of our time with in this segment is how should the Christian uh, treat this differently? At all, if at all, should we as followers of Jesus um, be handling a possible uh, pandemic, a possible um, crisis differently than, say, other people who may not be Christ followers? And uh, I, I don't even know necessarily what that would look like, but I have a couple ideas. We read an article a few weeks ago that in China, uh, the church is really stepping up to be a a beacon of hope in the midst of so much uh, sickness and death that it's the church uh, who is passing out masks. It is the church who is helping even when they put themselves in danger. And I wonder if our churches uh, would do the same thing. But I also think it's a good time for us to be reminded that 
uh, these th- that we live in a very broken world where these kinds of things happen. And believe me, I'm praying and hoping that, that this does not um, in any way. There's no outbreak here in the States, but uh, these are the things that we see happening in a broken world. And in that we can be reminded that while being cautious, we don't have to be fearful and we don't have to um, live terrified of what is happening because, you know, if something did happen, we are reminded again that because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, that eternity is our home, that we have hope uh, that goes even beyond the protection of disease. And so uh, I would take every step to remain healthy and to protect my children Uh, But I do think there's a call for us as believers, while you made a good point to be concerned, to not be fearful and to give even a different posture than the posture that others may take and that we have a reason for taking a posture that is not full of fear. It's always a reminder that in the midst of leprosy and other things, the early church was the ones uh, who... uh, who reached out to the sick, who took care of the sick, even uh, when it put them in danger. So I think this is something interesting for us to wrestle with. Uh, Do we, uh, as Christ followers, look different even in a scary time like could be coming uh, and has come uh, in places like China and some other uh, surrounding places? Would love to know your feedback. You can do so on our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, John Malk, uh, part of Malk and Baker, uh, is going to come in and talk a little bit of law with us. That is coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Normally joined by Ian Simpkins, my co-host, but Ian is uh, out for the week. He's doing some grad work down in, I believe, in Tennessee. We'll hear all about it when he comes back. But uh, with Ian gone, one of the things we've been trying to do this week is to bring in pastors and ministry leaders uh, and other people from the Chicagoland area uh, who we think you'd be interested in hearing from. And uh, over the next two segments, we couldn't be more thrilled than to be joined uh, by John Malk, uh, attorney and partner at Malk & Baker. John, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's great to be here, Brian. I've been wanting to get on this show to talk to you, meet you guys, and, and to reach your audience. Because yeah. uh, we've been on for Lawyers for Jesus on YLL for a couple of years. That's, uh, we're winding that up, uh-huh. but uh, still want to... S- help people understand how God is working through the law. Yeah. It's not separated. People need to know that God is the source of law. He's the source of truth. And how do we translate that into the problems that we have today and the divisions that we have? How can it be uh, healing, restorative, and bring justice? Yeah, that's a really cool way to put it. And uh, I'm wondering... Is that how you view your job? Lawyers, as you know, there are lots of jokes going around about lawyers and this and that. Do you see your calling as to uh, how do you would you describe your calling as a lawyer? Well, the callings, the callings differ. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I started out practicing law, I was a peacemaker Mm. and I know you're into peacemaking Mm -hmm. and. Uh, the other side of that is conflict avoidance. Yeah. And, and you can't really be a really good lawyer if you're always conflict avoidance. And and so 
conflict engagement and how to do that positively, I learned as I continued in my practice and I became a litigator. Yeah. And uh, fighting for justice in the courts, you have to advocate, but you don't have to hate. Mm. You advocate. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and uh, doing it in, in such a way that you respect the other side and and take their arguments as honestly presented, even yeah. though they may be confused about what they're doing, but uh, it's a way to bring peace, uh, to mm-hmm. bring reconciliation, uh, sometimes through a tough fight, yeah, yeah. and sometimes through just uh, uh, sitting down. But in everything, we want to build the kingdom yeah. and help people see how God is working. So we pray with our clients. Mm. We offer to pray with our adversaries, oh, wow. and, we, and we tell them. And I tell my my staff, and we have seven lawyers, every time we can do so with the client's permission, which is frequent, we want to work the gospel into our briefs. That's great. And, and because there are people out there that don't know yeah. the love of God. Yeah. And when they see us, they look at our website, uh, malkandbaker.com, they see we're, we're, we're Jesus lawyers. That's different. Yeah. And it holds us to a higher standard, but we love trying to be a light. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about that. How, how do you, how is it different, right? Because of the law is the law, but, but as a Christian lawyer, how do you approach even your clients differently? Yeah, uh, well, maybe uh, to trace my own history yeah, uh, as, as a lawyer and a believer starting out, a uh, young lawyer, I said, well, what does it mean? Of course, it means to be ethical and honest. And other than that, mm. didn't make too much difference. It'll be nice to people, but uh, other non-Christian lawyers, and it's probably the big majority of those in the Chicago area, mm. uh, would say, well, just be ethical. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I, I, as I continued practicing, I, I sought God and said, Am I doing this right, God? I I did divorce work for a while. Wow. And then I saw the scriptures Mm -hmm. talk about there's really some wisdom in how the marriage should be conducted between Christians and Christians and non-Christians and and when divorce is appropriate and when not. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a bunch of Christian women as clients, and they studied the scriptures thoroughly when they were getting divorced. I can imagine. <laughs> and they discipled me, and it began opening my eyes to say, well, there's, okay, doing divorce, there's there's a dimension. But yeah. then I began to wrestle with other scriptures. Uh, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel or the legal advice mm. of the ungodly. So there's a difference. Mm. And I began to see, wait a minute, there's a spiritual dimension in just about everything we do. Mm-hmm. And often God's objective is not to solve the legal problem. It's to help a person on their spiritual path. Yes. And that's what we need to recognize as a counselor. So uh, we and our our lawyers, we pray and we try to discern how we can help that person make peace, reconcile yeah. uh, with their business partner because they're litigating or how we can help the city see that, hey, a new church here can really enhance. And yeah. we talk to the neighbors and say, you don't want to fight this church. Look, look what they're going to bring. Yeah. And, and, and the, the different, there's there are many different ways. Mm. But, but, the bo- but the bottom line, Brian, is first to say, 
what is God doing yeah. here, and then translate it into the law, yeah. rather than starting with the law and saying, well, this is what we got to go, because basically law comes from God. Good law yeah. Yeah. comes from God, so yeah. it's all about God's purposes uh, brought together in legal advice, counseling, and uh, and and working with the client. Sometimes they're not believers. Yeah. And we'll show them God at yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> There's one particular man we're working with now, and he's blown away by prayer. He wants us to pray with him. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's great. And yeah. I know he's not a believer, but he can hardly hold himself back to say praise. So I, I can see God working in him. That's a, that's a really helpful. I really appreciate your description there because yeah, as a pastor, we preach on all the time, right? About like using your work. You're always a missionary, right? You're always on, you're always representing Jesus. So I appreciate that. Well, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is to talk about this story that I remember Ian and I talked about it a few months ago about the Wheaton College students, uh, my alma mater. I'm a Wheaton College oh, grad. okay. And uh, we what, won't hold that against you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, the Wheaton College students at Millennium Park in the suit that just happened. So maybe if you could catch us up kind of on the facts of the case. And then when we come back from break, we'll talk about the case a little more. Yeah, no. I, and, and, and you bring up an important thing. Sometimes our role as lawyer is, is just to facilitate with other believers and mm-hmm. work with them because they're carrying the ball. These kids, and actually there's a group of 20 to 30 at Wheaton College that would go out on Friday evenings, mm-hmm. uh, take the train into Chicago, pass out tracks, and some of them would do open-air preaching and share the gospel with whoever was willing to listen. Mm. Uh, four of them in particular kept getting shooed out of Millennium Park, which is the biggest uh, tourist attraction in Chicago, right. one of the biggest in in the U.S. Mm. The city says 20 million people a year uh, come to Millennium Park. Wow! So that's you want to fish where the fish are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they have big no fishing signs. Okay. And no preaching and no handing out of literature. Wow! Uh, in almost all of the park, they had one little square where they are allowing it, and. Uh, these students tried, and they talked to the supervisors, said, sorry, no, not allowed. And they came to us, and we had to sit down with them, and, and we'll t- tell you how we w- worked it out. And it's, it ended up in litigation that uh, God is moving oh, wow. in uh, on their behalf and on behalf of the gospel. And that's still ongoing. Well, we're going to continue this conversation. You're listening to John Malk, uh, attorney and partner at Malk and Baker. And uh, we're going to spend the next segment talking about this case with these Wheaton College students at Millennium Park, because I think it brings up a lot of really interesting things that a lot of us non-lawyers probably don't really have never really thought about until we hear about it. So excited to have that conversation next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is gone for the week. Uh, but we are excited to be joined in studio for a second segment uh, by John Malk, uh, attorney and partner at Malk and & Baker. And uh, you can find them at MalkandBaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K. And uh, before the break, and you can go listen to the podcast if you want to catch up on it, uh, John was telling us about a specific case that they are a part of where uh, some Wheaton College students, um, open air preaching, handing out tracks at Millennium Park, and they were basically shut down. So said, you can't do that except for one small part 
of Millennium Park, and uh, you've gotten involved in the case. And I think where we left it was you said uh, there's been some movement on their behalf in their favor. So why don't you catch us up on that? Well, uh, yes. When they came to us, uh, we sat down and said, well, exactly what did they do? And we you know, gathered the facts. And then I said, well, maybe it's just the security people that hmm. don't understand that this is a public park and public park people can freely speak unless there's a, a drastic reason not to. You know, were you yelling at people? No. Hmm. Were you uh, amplifying? Uh, no. And uh, were you keeping people from walking away if they didn't want to hear you? No. Okay, we'll talk to the city. We talked mm-hmm. to them, and they said, no, we just have to have this place as a place of solitude and quiet enjoyment. Oh, wow. And if there's, if there's uh, preachers there... Uh, they're going to interfere. Of course, I guess they've never been to the Bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a lot of solid during there. the summer, where yeah. you have a hundred kids splashing yes. around in the. In the uh, in a, well, actually, it's in a different place. No, splashing around, yeah, yeah. And, but around the Bean, people are taking s- selfies and they're 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 talking and yeah. and the tour guides are giving speeches. It's not exactly a library there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so Chicago calls it our town square. Oh really? And to 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 hold these diametrically opposed yeah. positions, this is a town square, which is, implies all the all all the bustle, uh, tumult, and and fun. Yeah. Uh, with uh, quiet enjoyment. Well, which is it? Yeah. And uh, yeah. they wanted to have it both ways, and we asked them to change the rules, and they did, but really. They just said you no longer have to get a permit in advance. You just can't do it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so so they actually made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we filed uh, in uh, federal court yeah. because this is a First Amendment, free speech, free exercise of religion, mm-hmm. and uh, also equal protection because they allow... The city allows all sorts of other events and speeches mm. to go on that they, what they use the word curate, which we said just means you give them permission yeah, because you want to have this event or that event, but we can't. Mm. And so it's government trying to take over, and it often happens, maybe not maliciously, but people have different minds and say, if we yeah. can control this... Uh, Maybe we can uh, stay in office more. Yeah, yeah. And we were actually joined by uh, Governor Quinn. He called me, former governor. Mm -hmm. He said, we have people that pass out petitions in Millennium Park because that's the best place. A lot of people. For us to fish, just like it's the best place for your evangelists to fish. And I said, come on, join the lawsuit. (laughs) So they filed an intervention and were allowed. So uh, we went together arm in arm. And we had a, a trial okay, uh, very quickly because Judge Blakey, the federal bench, recognized that this was important and uh, consequential to yeah. thousands, uh, actually 20 million if you take the city's, yep. city's word for it. Uh, and we said it's not just about our right to free speech. It's about the right of every visitor there to hear a message. Mm. They don't have to listen to the message. Yeah. yeah. They can walk away. They can say, don't hand me your literature, whatever. But they should have a right 
to say, why can't I take this literature? Why can't I hear this young fellow standing up and and, and speaking? It must be pretty important to him Mm -hmm. to come down on a Friday night. And 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 to stand on a on a short little ladder, oh, wow. and, and start uh, speaking without amplification. Yeah. So that's not what I was doing at Wheaton on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, wait a minute. They, they didn't allow that at Wheaton, did they? No. Just a lot of wasted time. Is all it was. Okay. So um, uh, we had the trial. We had the testimony. Uh, we did briefing and all of the legal stuff you do. Uh, they took court depositions yeah. and, uh, beforehand, and and the city brought three or four lawyers they had working on it. Mm. They didn't want to settle at all, so uh, the trial was in November, and we waited and uh, patiently, yeah. and we waited, and we got an th- excellent opinion, 32 pages from Judge Blakey, that's uh, available on our website, mouthbaker.com, mm. or uh, you can just, ju- uh, probably if you uh, Google, Google Matt, it, yeah. Matt Swart, S-W-A-R-T, one of the students, okay. or Millennium Park, uh, yeah. you can come up with it, and there's, there's a lot of coverage on it. Yeah. But for now, the judge has declared that those rules that say no passing out of literature, no open air preaching are unconstitutional wow. it's a public park and you can't make a bunch of words up and say it's not a public park uh-huh, uh-huh. the reality of what it is controls and so uh last friday night hallelujah they went right out they? you know they got we got the opinion on thursday uh-huh. and on friday they were out there preaching and handing out literature and uh, they'll be out there again this Friday if they're uh, folks who want to get saved yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you want to hear the word. And this is for everybody, man. Yeah. This is, uh, and, and I know Common Ground is about making Common Ground. Yeah. Uh, the petitioners who want citizen referendums now have the right mm. to uh, go around with their clipboards. Yep. Yep. The Buddhists have the right. Mm. And the, uh, the anti-Trumpers and the Trumpers yeah, yeah. have the right. And they were all forbidden before. And oh. the hope is th- through interaction, instead of everybody being in their own cocoon, yep. uh, that that will help. Yeah. Uh, at least people will listen respectfully. Uh, our students are respectful, and, and we should listen respectfully uh, to others, and that's part of the common good is having yeah. free speech and having open public parks. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating point, and where we can close it out is that you, this isn't just about the Christians being able to preach. And Ian and I have talked about that before, telling people like, as long as you're okay with this for everybody, yeah, freedom, freedom. Um, but what you guys were really fighting for was yes for the students, but it was much bigger than that. Well, absolutely, and and we we believe, and we will even represent non Christians. Interesting, uh, because God allowed Satan to come right before him and accuse Job. Hmm. He didn't say, "Satan, you can't speak." Now, when he speaks, we resist him. Yeah, but he was right to speak. We'll stand up for it because it's 
part of everybody's right yeah. as an American and I think as a person of, of God yeah. that God wants freedom for the gospel and for people to, be, to decide who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, John, I'm so grateful that you came in and we could have this conversation. As I said, we talked about this article when it first came out and uh, you've offered uh, off air to come in some more and be our uh, help us process some law stuff. And we're going to take you up on that. So we look forward to having you back on the show again. Thanks for being here. Oh, God bless you, Brian. Thanks, John. Thanks. Uh, Again, you're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Ian Simpkins here. And after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference. I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did. And so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrive and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to thrivent.com today. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, uh, go ahead and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, we are grateful for those of you who do that. Uh, as I've been saying along the way here, Ian Simpkins, my normal co-host, is out of town this week. He is down at grad school. And uh, so as we've been joking around, Ian's getting smart this week. And so uh, we encourage you to listen back next week and hear. Uh, just John, are you excited how much wisdom he's going to impart on us now? I'm I'm looking forward to being enlightened. A little hopefully, bit. Hopefully his. A little bit fearful. A little bit fearful. His gusto still is there. I Hopefully. Oh, you know. oh, come on now. That's never going anywhere. So we're excited to have Ian back. In the meantime, uh, we are having people in studio. We are doing some of this. So later on this hour or next hour, Kurt Wiggins. Uh, is going to join us, which we are very excited about. We wanted to jump into an article from the Gospel Coalition, but before we do, uh, let me tell you about something exciting going on here at AM 1160. AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday, March 27th for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Now, tickets start at just $25, and VIP tickets are available for $49, and that includes a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew Peterson. Uh, Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more, so get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. That's going to be a great concert. We would really encourage you to come be a part of it, bring some friends, or come as a family. Uh, everyone I've ever heard who has seen Andrew Peterson uh, has really great things to say about him. So we would, we would love to see you there 
on that evening. Well, I wanted to highlight a uh, an article. Uh, it's kind of down the path that we don't normally do. Uh, usually, uh, a lot of our articles are you know current events or kind of current church events, these kinds of things. Uh, but I found a fascinating article out of the Gospel Coalition uh, in, about the Old Testament and theology, and it's just entitled this, God's people aren't impressive. Just look at Moses' family tree. Let me read some of this article to you. I just find it very fascinating. You can find this at thegospelcoalition.org. Uh, it, the author writes this. Uh, the author of this article is named Ryan Welsh. He writes, the Bible is surely history's most honest book. It's unfettered and brutal transparency about the unimpressive nature of God's chosen people. Even its human authors testifies to its authenticity. The gospel makes this point powerfully. Jesus, the God man, entered human history, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death and rose again so that the unrighteous, unimpressive chosen people would be reconciled to God. If God's people believe they've been saved by grace through faith, as they contributed nothing to their salvation except the sin that made redemption necessary, then why do they often have such a challenging time believing that God can use them to do his kingdom work? Frequently, God's people, the author writes here, sense a lack of ability as if God chooses to work only through those who have some innate and impressive aptitude. Moses struggled with this very thing. The same Moses who God used to deliver Israel from Pharaoh's oppression was a self-identified, unimpressive man who believed he was unable to accomplish God's mission. The example of Moses helps highlight the unimpressive nature of God's chosen people and his choice to use them anyway. Toward the beginning of Exodus, shortly after God commissions Moses, there's a genealogy that seems out of place. But the genealogy found in Exodus 6, 14 through 25 serves a critical purpose in the Exodus narrative and a larger theological purpose for God's people. Unfortunately, our tendency is to read genealogies hastily or skip over them altogether. Uh, Guilty is charged on that one. I don't know if you do that through the Bible and you just kind of go, oh, genealogy, I'm through that. But the author says genealogies offer God's people critical information and Exodus 6 is no exception. Like the framing of a good piece of art, a literary framing complements and accentuates the substance within its border. Moses, led by the Holy Spirit, builds this particular frame so God's people would better understand the genealogy's significance to the Exodus story. What's recorded directly before Exodus 6 and after Exodus 6 is the same occurrence. Though the wording is condensed in the latter, it's important to note that those aren't separate occurrences of God commanding Moses to speak with Pharaoh. They are the same event. This particular bookend structure succinctly records God's command to Moses and Moses' immediate pushback. It's not that Moses opposes what God plans to do. He's against whom God's planning to use to do it, right? So he's, the point here is that Moses is saying, I'm an unimpressive person. Uh, I am not worthy of this. goes on to say, we might expect God to respond something like, Moses, don't be so hard on yourself. You can do this. Yet the opposite happens. God directs Moses to write down his family line for all to read. It's as if, rather than encouraging Moses by building his self-esteem, God says, you think you're unimpressive? You have no idea how unimpressive you are. Let me show you. See, in the ancient Near East, status and credentials were primarily found in one's family line. And this did not bode well for, for Moses. Here are a few of the relative sketchy track records. Reuben had a sexual encounter with his father's concubine in Genesis 35. Simeon and Levi both uh, became outraged and killed all the men in a city to avenge their sister's rape in Genesis 34. Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron and was swallowed up by the ground in Numbers 16. Amron, Moses' dad, married his own aunt in Exodus 6. 
Additionally, 40 years earlier, Moses himself killed an Egyptian man and fled for his life. It seems the point of the genealogy is to show just how unimpressive God's chosen people are. Nevertheless, God delivers Israel out of Pharaoh's hand using the unimpressive Moses. He has no other kind of human to use. Paul directly uh, correctly understood himself to be weak, but knew God demonstrated his strength by using weak people. That's what we see in 2 Corinthians 12, 10. And it goes on and on to talk about our unimpressiveness. Welch ends it this way. <clears throat> we may not be impressive, but if we're in Christ, then our success isn't based on our ability, but his faithfulness. We're more capable of ministry success because of our ability. We're no more capable of ministry success because of our abilities than we are righteous because of our actions. Our loving father both saves us from our sin and also equips us to accomplish his mission. What Ryan Welsh here, he is a lead pastor for Redeemer Church in Bellevue, Washington. Uh, What Welsh here is doing for us is reminding us of such an important, a foundational Um, truth that we see throughout scripture. And it's simply this, uh, that it's not about your impressiveness. God doesn't call uh, the, uh, the equipped, he equips the called and uh, God's not out there taking resumes going, okay, who is the best, most impressive person that I could call to do my work? Instead, what we see through the disciples is that God calls, God also almost shows off throughout the Bible uh, by calling uh, men and women uh, who are the bottom of the cultural rung, uneducated, poor. Uh, he doesn't call the religious leaders. Jesus doesn't tell the religious leaders, hey, come with me. Instead, it's the fishermen and the tax collectors, the prostitutes and the sick. And uh, I think we can be really encouraged by that. And why do I say that? Because if you're like me, you've sat back and said, ah, what? how could God ever make a difference in this world through me? What could he ever do uh, to make any sort of difference? And the answer is just open up the Bible and you just have person after person from Moses to David uh, and others in the Old Testament uh, to Peter and Paul and others in the New Testament. It screams out that it's not about the impressiveness of the person, but it's about the impressiveness of our God who is doing the calling. And so I wanted to read that article to just hopefully encourage you out there, Christ follower, to be reminded Uh, that God uses all of us to make an eternal impact, even when we don't think we are worthy of it. In fact, when we don't think we're worthy of it, that's when we are most uh, set up to be used by God. Well, hopefully that's encouraging for you. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Kurt Wiggins. Kurt is uh, the lead pastor of Pathway Community Church uh, in Elmhurst. Kurt's going to join us next year on The Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. This hour, we're going to be joined in studio by Kurt Wiggins. Kurt is the lead pastor at Pathway Community Church in Elmhurst. You are listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us today. Uh, you can find us, as always, on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. 
normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out of town this week uh, doing some grad work, getting smart down in Tennessee, as we like to say. Nice. Uh, but we are excited. All week we're being joined by local pastors, local ministry leaders. And with that in mind, I'm thrilled to be joined for the rest of this hour uh, by Kurt Wiggins. So, Kurt, thanks for coming in, man. Oh, it's great to be here. It's good to see you, Brian. Yeah, it's really good to catch up. Uh, you know, we haven't seen each other in a while. We're doing it on a radio show. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> hey, sounds good to me. So we've got a ton of things to talk to Kurt about, but Kurt is the pastor of Pathway Community Church uh, in Elmhurst. Tell us your story. How long have you been at Pathway? What was kind of your journey in the, to even becoming a pastor? Yeah, well, almost uh, I'll be there almost uh, 15 years this fall, which is crazy how fast it went. Uh, started uh, from scratch. My family, uh, we lived in Elmhurst. Um, wasn't thinking actually of being a church planner or even a pastor. I started out uh, Wheaton grad school, mm. um, psychology, clinical psych degree, went out, started a counseling center for a Christian college in New York, and then came back and did missions in the Midwest at international teams and loved what I was doing. Wow. It was crazy. And so loved it. And then God dramatically called me out of that into the local church. And um, can I tell you that story? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, yeah, I was, uh, we were at international teams as executive vice president there serving 400 missionaries around the world. And uh, I was also serving uh, as a leader in on the team in a uh, church in Hinsdale at the time, Hinsdale Baptist Church, and they were looking for a worship pastor. Mm. And so they were like, couldn't find anybody. We had a meeting the next day that we were supposed to go to to see what, what are we going to do about that? I, I came home early Friday, cut my grass, praying about, okay, what are we going to do? Turns out while well, I'm cutting my grass, God kind of nudged me. And uh, <laughs> I want you to be the pastor of nurture and outreach at this church. And I'm like, what? They're not, they're not even looking for that. Yeah. I shut the, the, the lawnmower off. I, I, I go talk to uh, my wife, Jennifer, and I say, you're not going to believe this. And she's like, no way, not in your life. I don't want to do that. Uh, she's a PK. So anyhow, uh, she's like, let's just keep it quiet, pray about it, and see what happens. So anyhow, we uh, I go to the meeting the next morning. They're like, okay, guys, what should we do? We've been looking for this worship pastor, can't find anybody. And another guy says, hey, I think we ought to change the search and look for a pastor of Nurture and Outreach. Wow. And you're sitting there like, what? My mouth, my <laughs> mouth dropped, right? Yeah. So anyhow, I didn't say anything. Yeah. I just, we prayed, and for the next nine months, they looked for somebody. At the end of it, they came down to it and said, you know, we think we have somebody, but we're not sure. So they prayed and fasted. And then uh, at the end of that, they came to me, they came and said, what about Kurt? We should consider talking to him. And so they came and asked me, would you consider this? And I said, well, I'm, I'm willing, but... I got to go mow my lawn. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. I, I got to be... Uh, God has to release me from my job because yeah. I had a pretty, pretty important job. So I said, I'll do it if that happens. So three weeks later, president comes in. President had no idea. Stephen Freed, international teams that I was even looking at this. This was going on. He says, hey, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I had a dream about you last night. No way. Yeah. I'm like, okay, what was it? And he said, well, in the dream, um, you're talking to somebody on your cell phone, and God's trying to call you. And so all I could say is, like, God's trying to reach you or wants to talk to you or call you to something. Does that mean anything? Mm. And I told him, well, it does, actually. And I told him what happened. He's like, well, then, of course, you need to go take that. And so I left international teams, went and worked with this church. And, man, it was a tough gig, too, yeah. because within the first year, this, they, some people kind of ran out the senior pastor, and it was just like a hard deal. 
But through that, it was a traditional established church. Through that, God just stirred my heart for church planting mm-hmm. and uh, ended up going through an assessment center. Uh, long story short, uh, I'll go anywhere, God. And he's like, why not in Elmhurst where I lived? And so next thing you know, we planted Pathway. That's awesome. 15 years ago. 15 years ago this fall. And still there. Still going. And actually, we got our, our first building. We've yeah. been looking for a space. And uh, last year, about this time, we were building out a warehouse space that we just moved into last summer. So tell me about that. The first 15 years, you were, or 14 years, you're without a location. So where were you guys? What yep. were you doing? How hard was that? And then how did you get this space? So we were, we were doing setup here. Well, we we didn't. We we formed a launch team. We we're like, okay, where should we meet? You know, church planners are mm-hmm. looking. And um, we went up on the parking garage downtown Elmhurst, and we prayed over the city. Mm. I looked down, and right down there is uh, the York Theater in uh, city center of Elmhurst. Yeah. And I kind of sensed God saying, hey, you know, you got to talk to them. Mm. Like, okay, I'll go talk to them. So I went and met with uh, the Johnson family, Shirley Johnson, and said, hey, this is our deal. I'm a pastor. We're looking for a place to meet. Can we meet here? And uh, she's like, no, we're not interested. (laughs) We don't want kids running all over and ruining the space. So I was so bummed that I thought for sure that's what God had. But I left, and I just... Another one of those things where I sensed just God was saying, you know what? I want you to go back and talk to her. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) She just said, no, this is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So called her up uh, about a week later and I said, would there be any chance you'd be willing to meet again? Mm. And she says, "Uh, okay, I'm willing. Mm. So we met again and I, I... I was like, a, I think I was crying. I was a blubbering idiot. And uh, anyhow, um, after listening to the story again, she said, you know, I've reconsidered and I'm willing to let you guys meet here. So for the next 11 years, wow. we, we met at the York Theater, downtown Elmhurst, and it was just a great spot for us to meet. Yeah. Um, saw a lot of people come to Christ. Uh, a lot of growth happened. And it was just a blast. But the challenge was we hit kind of the upper limit of we didn't have any way to expand or grow. We couldn't go to two services because they had another the theater, the movie movie sure. started. So we we're like stuck and uh, looking, looking, looking. And so we had to move out. They were going to do some remodeling. We moved to Bryan Middle School in, uh, in Elmhurst for a couple of years, um, but still looking. And then this opportunity opened up where we're at, uh, at uh, 586 North uh, Michigan Street in Elmhurst. It's, a, it's just a block um, east of uh, York Street, North Elmhurst, and it's in a strip mall. We're on the back side really? in, in a warehouse yeah. uh, that we kind of reconverted into a church, and it's a fantastic spot. Wow. Yeah. That's how fun is that? You know, like just to be able to have something like that open. So you didn't plan on being a pastor. Now you're 15 years in uh, of yep. being a church planner. Uh, what is your favorite thing about pastoring? Favorite thing. Or one of your favorite yeah. things. I don't want to make you choose like between sure. your kids here. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> like, um, the favorite thing, probably just um, all the different people that I've got to meet and yeah. just the stories of their life and how God has just worked in in such amazing ways in so many different people's lives to see their lives change. Yeah. I just love hearing stories of how people's lives has changed. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's. Just so encouraging. There's one woman who, um, her, her name is Yasko, early on, and uh, we sent out these invite cards yep. when we were just starting. Hey, come, come. And it was one we sent at Christmas, kind of broken Christmas was the theme. She was broken, single mom, really tough situation. She ends up, she didn't come immediately, but she did get it. She held on to it. Her neighbor ends up, went to our church, later on invites her to come. She comes um, and it ends up her son, who is... And our youth group ended up coming to Christ first. Wow. Um, 
but she was just watching his life change. And then through that, she was just like, wow, something's different about these people. And she ends up, long story short, accepting Christ, gets baptized in our church. And she had never heard the gospel before coming to our church. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. She's from Japan, uh, never heard the gospel, and and just was a thrill to be able to baptize her. And just now she's heads up our welcome team and does a great job. Awesome. Yeah. With like the minute we have left, how do you keep that? uh, We started a church as well. So you and I are both church planters. Yep. One thing I always wrestle with is how do you keep, you eventually become an established church. Yes. But you want to keep that kind of like passion for the gospel and the lost. It's a challenge. How do you do that? What, what, what have you failed with? What is, how, what is kind of your mindset around that? Yeah, well, we we just want to continually try to um, serve the community, reach uh, reach into the community. We're doing a thing called Kids Hope we came across. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have, yes. And uh, we're in the local elementary school, and that's been a great thing. Mm. And then we're also, um, uh, we have a partnership with uh, Caring Network, which yeah. uh, we, anyhow, so uh, we ended up having a part of our building we build out to serve Caring Network awesome. and to let them come to our space. And then now we work with women who don't have family support when they have babies. We now connect with them and are able to serve them. And yeah. so that's been another way just to keep it fresh. That's awesome. Yeah, that is one of the struggles, right? It is. Uh, you go from being the new church to another church. Yes. And you want to keep that. So yeah, Understood. That voice you hear is Kurt Wiggins. He is the lead pastor at Pathway Community Church in Elmhurst. Let's introduce this here, but we'll get into it much more in our next segment. As if you're not doing enough things, yes. you're also the interim president of Caring Network. So with the time we have left in this segment, just tell us what is Caring Network? Yeah, Caring Network is a um, it's an organization that started out primarily in DePage County trying mm-hmm. to help women who find themselves with unexpected pregnancies uh, and are like, what should I do? Should I carry this baby? Should I abort this baby? And so Caring Network is there to help uh, empower women to make an informed choice about life and and, and having their babies. And mm-hmm. so uh, I've been able to serve on the board of that uh, great ministry for a couple years. And so then just... Just at the end of the year, they invited me or asked me if I would to be the interim president. And so it's just such an honor to be able to serve in that uh, ministry. Yeah. And now how many you were telling me off air, how many locations are there where the caring network is set up to help women? Yep, they have six six centers across yeah. uh, DePage County, and uh, like I said, we partnered with them about five years ago to open up one out of our church when yeah. we had just an office and we were meeting in the York Theater. And so we, when we built out our building, said we're just going to dedicate part of our space to be able to uh, have an Avenue Women's Center, which is what the name of it, okay. uh, for where they would come. And so one of the six centers is located in Elmhurst. Um, they have uh, other. And they're just doing a fantastic job uh, serving women that find themselves with an unplanned pregnancy and aren't sure what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you get a lot of pushback, not from your church, but just from when people hear I work for a um, a a, uh, pregnancy center? Do you get a lot of pushback? It's kind of a hot button topic in our our culture these days. Yes, it is. Um, I've not gotten a lot yet, but definitely it is. I mean, it's a battleground. Yeah. And. 
they're right in the bullseye of it. Mm. And so, um, yeah, it, it, there's some challenges that go with it. But at the same time, man, I just am so thankful to be able to be part of a ministry that is uh, promoting life, the life of the unborn, mm-hmm. as well as uh, trying to see women uh, that don't know Jesus come to know him if, if the Lord would do that. That's awesome. Well, that's Kurt Wiggins. You're hearing Kurt is the pastor of Pathway Community Church in Elmhurst. He's the interim president of Caring Network. <laughs> he hears from God when he mows his lawn. Yeah. All sorts of other all things right, going man. on. And I'm thankful Kurt's going to stay with us for one more segment. I want to talk more about Caring Network, and then we're going to shoot all over some pastoral questions. So oh, sweet. Well, that's what we're going to do next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. A couple places you can find us. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Online 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, and review. And we are grateful for those of you who do that. Uh, Kurt Wiggins is joining us for one more segment. Kurt is the pastor of Pathway Community Church in Elmhurst. Before we jump back with Kurt, though, let me tell you about something here at AM 1160. Uh, AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson uh, to the Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday night, March 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Now, tickets start at just $25, and VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more, so get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. That's going to be right in your backyard right there. Yeah. Right there in Elmhurst. So Yeah, Greg DeMay is doing a great job at Elmhurst Christian Reform. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, again, that's Kurt Wiggins, your Pathway Community Church in Elmhurst. What's a website for Pathway? It's pathwaycommunity-church.org. There you go. Yep. Pathwaycommunity-church.org. You can find out much more about Kurt's, uh, his church. They just moved into a new building after being without a building for 15 years. So that's just uh, a cool thing. If you live up in the Elmhurst area, uh, it certainly sounds like a church you should check out. So we talked last segment. Not only are you also the chaplain of the Chicago Dogs, an independent baseball team out of the Rosemont, uh, you're also currently serving on the board and also as the interim president of Caring Network. Yes. Uh, Caring Network, uh, for people who aren't aware, provides um, uh, pregnancy help. It's a pregnancy care centers uh, for people who have unwanted pregnancies and uh, or unplanned pregnancies, yes. I should say. Uh, so I want to start there. Um, what has driven you to want to get into, for lack of a better word, this fight to, to give so much of your time, yep. even more so now, but even before as a board member, but even more so now as the interim president, uh, to get into this uh, this hot button cultural issue yeah. uh, around abortion and pregnancy? You know, probably five years ago or I don't know, five or six years ago. It's hard to say exactly, but I was... Um, I, I just, you know, as a as a pastor, as a Christian, um, I mean, I mean, this is a, a hot button topic in our culture. Yeah, you, you said it, Brian. And so I was like, you know, what can I do? Mm. What can we do as a church? Yeah, 
And I just started thinking about that and uh, praying about it. And I thought there ought to be something we could do to make a difference. We're yeah. not going to we're not going to solve the whole thing, but we could maybe make some small difference. So at the time, I was like, what could I do? I ended up uh, talking to Barbara Singer. She was the president uh, back then yep. at Caring Network. And uh, it was interesting because she, she had just talked about the vision that they had was to try to start these express centers with churches. Mm. So a pastor, a church planter who has a church building, kind of a non-traditional space like we had, um, would they be willing to you know, use a portion of their space to uh, turn into uh, an express center for Caring Network to, to see women during the week? Mm. And I was like, no kidding. Yeah. I, I was already kind of feeling the nudge to do something, and that just seemed like a right fit for us. And so uh, we said, well, what could we do? How much would it cost? Well, we had to get an ultrasound machine. We had to kind of build out the space. It was going to cost almost, you know, like forty five, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And uh, I thought, we can do this. Mm. And so our church set out to raise that money, and uh, we, we, ha- we did it in... I think it was in a couple months, our church just rallied around that, and we raised almost $50,000 and uh, got an ultrasound machine, built out the space in our offices. Next thing you know, um, we were opening the doors to be able to serve women in need in the community, wow. and it was just a fantastic uh, way to be able to partner with them. And then... Yeah, so that was that was the beginning of it. That's really cool. Yeah. Now, somebody's hearing this going, I want to be a part of something like this. I want to make a difference. How can either individuals or churches uh, serve or help with Caring Network? Yeah, great question. So, so there's ways that um, you can serve as a volunteer uh, in the centers. So that, you know, if we, they need people that just volunteer, there's different opportunities to volunteer. They have baby bottle drives every year. Yeah. Maybe you've heard of those. Our church has done them. Yep, yeah. of course. Um, and then just uh, a variety of ways. If somebody says, hey, i got a few hours I want to serve, they can go to uh, caringnetwork.com and just find out you know more and um, and get involved that way. And then, um, yeah, there's there's just uh, you can there's banquet every fall. Yep. Uh, you can come to the banquet. I think this year we're going to have um, just a great speaker. David Jeremiah is going to be oh, there. Wow. Yeah, he's yeah. going to come in October, and uh, that's usually at the Drury Lane. And then, um, yeah, just uh, say, hey, I want to help out. And we'll, we have plenty of opportunities for volunteers just to serve in some capacity or to give to make a difference in this cause. Yeah. I know that Ian and I, we've we've had this talk about on the show about hills to die on and yes. that sometimes as churches and as Christians, in my opinion, we get those hills really wrong. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> what are the hills to die on? Yes. And that we've both said that we think that uh, this sanctity of life issue of abortion is a hill for the church to die on. Yeah, I would and agree. Is a hill for us to really roll up our sleeves and get involved. Well, I mean, in, if, so. if we believe uh, what the Bible says that we're all as human beings created in the image of God, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and God has created us in his image and even though, uh, you know, we're, we live in a fallen, broken world and we ourselves are fallen and broken by sin. But but God is his image is still in us. And that includes uh, babies that are yet to be born. The yeah. unborn yeah. Uh, are made in his image. And so if we believe that and take that seriously, then I think this is a way that at least I felt I could make a difference in helping in that and, and serving in that capacity. That's really cool. Well, we look forward to having you on again sometime to talk about whatever next job you're taking. Because it sounds like you're <laughs> yeah. like an ad jobs to your. <laughs> uh, to your stuff. Let me, uh, with the time we have left, a couple pastoral questions. Yep. And uh, you have not been prepped on these, okay. which makes it more fun. Uh, we have an election coming up. Uh, you may have heard. And so I'm not, <laughs> yes, I've heard. I'm not wondering who do you vote for or what for do sure. you do. What I am wondering is how are you viewing this next season as a pastor? 
What do you see your role with your church as it just gets really hyper-partisan, the uh, election's yeah. coming? How are you going to approach it as a pastor? Yeah, that's great. I, 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 two things come to mind right away. First mm-hmm. of all, I, I mean, it, you don't have to look very far or listen very long to see that we're in a contentious culture. Yeah. There's a lot of arguing, uh, uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's us and them kind of culture mentality. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I just want to be and I want our church and the people of our church to be people of peace. Mm, that's good. And, and, and to try to be people that are peacemakers, not uh, not posting things that are going to cause divisiveness or, or going to be, you know, like, how can I put a wedge out there? But how can I promote peace? So that's yeah. the first thing. And then I just think, you know, we, be, we need to be informed uh, and, and we need to do our part and vote. Yeah. And so find out what are the what are the candidates standing for? What are they about? Um, you know, and be an educated uh, voter. Don't just kind of go with the bandwagon. But, you yeah. know, so those two things would probably be the, the main issue that I would focus on. Yeah. Do you feel like you're going to tackle politics pretty hard? Pretty. Um, um, again, not who to vote for or not this, but just uh, are, are you going to talk about it often, do you think? Yeah, I don't know often. I just think I want to encourage uh, our people to to be engaged and to be informed and then also to be people of peace. So, you know, it, it's tricky as a pastor. You know, I mean, we're not we're not going to take sides right. and say, hey, we're going to say vote this way or that. But we just want you to be uh, informed voters. And uh, and then, you know, what does God's word say? Yep. And, and how do I how does that make a difference in the in the voting booth? Absolutely. That's well put, man. All right. Last question. And I like to ask every pastor who comes in this. <laughs> Ironically, you would think everybody who listens to our show is believers, but we've come to learn that there's a lot of people who just kind of stumble upon us mm. or it's a more passive way to think about the faith instead of being a part of a church. And so yep. I always think about that person out there who's just searching and they're hurting. They're mm. like, I don't know where there's any hope. So I want to give you a chance, a minute, minute and a half uh, to be an evangelist and be a pastor. And just to that person out there who's going, I just feel hopeless. I don't feel like there's much to my life. Could you speak to that person? Yeah. You know, um, we need hope mm-hmm. and, and there's not a lot of hope out there today. If you're going to look around and, um, our God is a God of hope. Mm-hmm. And if you look in the Bible and you find out who God is and what he is, he, he desi- he, he made us, he desires a relationship with each one of us. Mm. And, and he came into our world in the person of Jesus Christ to give us hope. Mm-hmm. To, to say, I want to walk in your shoes. I want to, I want to walk in this world. And he, he went through the hard places and he faced tremendous pain and suffering Yeah, to be able to give us hope. And then he went and died on the cross for our sins. And he said, if you, if you admit that you are a sinner and if you trust in me, you can have hope. He rose from the, uh, the grave on the third day to show us that he can defeat sin and death. And mm-hmm. he, that the victory that he has is what gives me hope even to know that, yeah. you know, he, he's not dead. He, he's alive. And, and if you turn your life over to him, if you turn to him and trust him, he, he's not going to give us a perfect life because that right. doesn't come till heaven. Yeah. But he gives us hope in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the trials that we face. And, and that's what I try to tell our people every week. Yeah. And, you know, we're doing a series coming up at Easter. It's going to be the um, resurrected hope. Mm. And um, man, hope is not just a concept. It is the person of Jesus. That's really good. Kurt, thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. You've been listening to Kurt Wiggins, our guest from Pathway Community Church in Elmhurst. Give us that website one more time. It's pathwaycommunity-church.org. Pathwaycommunity-church.org. Kurt, thanks, man. It was really good thanks, to catch Brian. up with you again. It's good to see you. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. As always, online at 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, uh, and we are grateful to those of you who do that. Usually joined by Ian Simpkins, uh, but Ian is out for this week. Uh, looking forward to having him back here next week. Um, but uh, just trying to f- go solo, having guys like Kurt Wiggins join us uh, for the last two segments is always fun. And I uh, hope you're enjoying the show. Well, AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday night, March 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Now, tickets start at just $25, and VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more, so get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. Wanted to tell you about a little bit of new research out of the Barna Group. Barna, it's an evangelical Christian polling firm that uh, a lot of pastors and ministry people, uh, when you see Barna, you're usually like, well, okay, that's reputable. Like, they know what they're doing. And uh, uh, Barna just came out with a study looking at how Americans relate with the churches they attend. And what Barna came to find out is it reveals five notable trends affecting pastors and Christian leaders. So the findings are part of the State of the Church 2020 study, a year-long examination of the spiritual and religious trends that define America, these American life these days. The researchers primarily explored two different categories of adults who have relatively recent experience in a Christian church, practicing Christians and churched adults. Uh, and so he says, uh, Barna President David Kinneman says, in the first case, we're talking about those who are the most church-savvy adults. In the second, we're looking at all those adults who are reasonably familiar with the experience of church going. So that's kind of the background, and I want to share with you the five trends that Barna discovered. Number one, uh, declining church loyalty and church hopping. Barna found that nearly two in five churchgoers report regularly attending multiple churches, suggesting that just because somebody might attend church doesn't mean they attend the same church every time. 
However, 63% of churched adults and 72% of practicing Christians tend to stick with a single congregation. And nearly two in five churched adults and one quarter of practicing Christians at least occasionally attend other churches. They write, interestingly, church hoppers are just as likely as more loyal attenders to report weekly attendance. In other words, just because they select from a handful of different churches to attend, does it make them any less likely to attend church on a given weekend? Also, those who hop around don't do so as a routine part of their church going in a given month, but typically just attend another church occasionally. Number two of the trends that Barna found churchgoers uh, on the value of church. The study shows that two-thirds of churched adults say they attend church because they, quote, enjoy doing it. And the same is true for four in five practicing Christians. One in six churchgoers say uh, they attend because they have to, and one in seven says they do so out of habit. They went on to say, while most churchgoers attribute positive feelings to their participation in church, half of Christians agree that church as usual is declining in popularity, or at least churchgoers perceive that other people feel this way. About half of Christians and more than half of churched adults overall admit that people they know are tired of the usual type of church experience. It adds, while you might think that some groups of Christians are more likely than others to feel this way, data shows no significant difference across denomination, generation, or faith segment. Number three, churchgoers largely experience or expect positive emotions and outcomes by going to church. Overall, 37% of churched adults say they leave worship services feeling inspired. 37% feel encouraged. 34% feel forgiven. 33% feel as though they've connected with God or experienced his presence. And 26% say they are challenged to change something in their life every time. Nearly 30% of churched adults express always feeling that attending service was the most important experience they had all week. And 28% say that they learned something uh, new. Number four, church membership is still a common practice and is correlated with positive outcomes, but its importance is declining among younger churchgoers. 54% of those who attend church at least every six months report being an official member at their place of worship, with 37% reporting they regularly attend but are not members. Practicing Christians expectedly show deeper commitment with 71% noting they are members and 26% claiming regular attendance without membership. Surprisingly, no significant differences emerged in membership rates between denominations, whether mainline or or non-mainline, Protestant or Catholic, the study revealed. However, a different story emerges when looking across generations. Boomers are more likely than both Gen X and millennials to be formal members of their congregation with nearly 7 in 10 Uh, churched boomers confirming membership. Younger generations of churchgoers were also more likely to mention not applicable, which suggests that the category of membership isn't even part of their church nomenclature. Last one. These are Barna's uh, five trends driving Americans' perception of the church. Uh, Number five, the perception of the church's relevance to the community is under question, especially among non-Christians. Barna found that while practicing Christians firmly believe that Christian churches have a strong community impact, 66 per, 66% very positive and 28% somewhat positive, the rest of the American population is not as quick to sing their praises. Only about a quarter agrees that the churches have a positive, a very positive impact and roughly the same percentage says it has no effect at all. 
38% of U.S. adults say it's just a somewhat positive impact. Non-Christians, meanwhile, are inclined towards indifference. 39% say no impact at all. The general population and practicing Christians especially look at Christian faith positively, uh, Barna found. However, the church itself is regarded as irrelevant by about 10% of those surveyed. Even some who are uh, committed members of the church feel it's falling out of style. The percentage of practicing Christian millennials who agree the church is irrelevant today is the same as non-Christians who hold that view of 25%. So Barna announced the relaunch of its State of the Church survey report after a gap of 10 years. And the group said it was using new technology to help churches personalize the insights. So I just wanted to read this because I found it really interesting that uh, how do people view the church, people within the church, people outside the church? What is the state of the church? So we'll put that up on our Facebook page. Love to have uh, your uh, comments on it and what you think. Uh, again, you can find that Barna Research at our Facebook page. Well, coming up next, we're going to end the show the way we always end the show with Interweb Insanity. That's next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing. The one thing, it is the end of the show. It is Interweb Insanity. This is a time... Uh, when our producers, John, is this you or is this Keith? Who's this today? Today is Keith. Okay, you strap yeah. it on. This I'm, is going to be dangerous. I'm glad you asked because I don't know if I want my name to these. This is going to be dangerous. But uh, So Keith has gotten us stories, uh, funny stories, sometimes uh, sketchy stories from the internet. I have not seen these. I have not read these. And that's how we play the game. Neither so. have I. So <laughs> it'll be fun for me. <laughs> okay. First one's out of Scotland. Hapless Scottish bank robber forgot to cut eye holes in makeshift pillowcase mask. <laughs> That's funny. A bank robber, a bank robber, put a pillowcase over his head to hide his identity. Then he had to take it off so he could see. Matthew Davies uh, failed to create eye holes in the cover of the armed raid at a bank uh, last September. The 47-year-old who threatened staff with a meat cleaver left the bank with nearly 2,000. What do they have in Scotland? Pounds. Euros? Pounds? I think it's pounds. Sure, we'll go with that. But was later arrested. He pleaded guilty to charge of assault. Uh, In the hearing, uh, it says Davies entered the Bank of Scotland branch and pulled the meat cleaver from the pillowcase before putting the bedding item to the cover of his face. But the failure to cut eye holes meant he had to take it off again. After threatening staff, Davies was initially given uh, 300 pounds or so, but the 47-year-old demanded more cash and also warned that he would hurt a female customer if it was not handed over stupid (laughs) i like it police later found the cash and the pillowcase consistent with what he put over his head all right next one's out of florida our friends from florida oh i saw this one on the news today man sets hospital bed on fire to get nurses attention a man who felt like he was being ignored set his hospital bed on fire while another patient was in the room in an attempt to get a nurse's attention According to the authorities, John King admitted to setting a plastic bag on fire on Saturday because he felt the Advent Health New Smyrna Beach staff were ignoring his request to bring him his clothes, and he believed that the fire would get their attention. King's roommate in the hospital explained to officials that he had seen King light a small object on fire, but convinced him to put out the flame record show. However, when he returned to his bed behind a curtain, he saw King relit the fire, and the roommate used the emergency button to notify staff. Uh, he's in here. He lit his bed on fire. I can't breathe. The smoke is in the room. A nurse who heard the roommate yell entered the room after seeing the flames and shouted, fire, there's a fire, and called 911. 
Uh, King gave uh, authorities a silver and red Bic lighter he used to start the fire. He was arrested on a felony charge of arson. Oh, there'll be a hot <laughs> in the old town tonight. Next one's out of Tennessee. Parrot shouts fire to warn family about blaze in kitchen. Wow. A family owes their life to their beloved parrot. When a fire broke out in the early morning hours while the family was still sleeping, they were woken up by their parrot uh, Louis' cries of fire. Amazingly, they say, the bird had never said the word before but was still able to use it in that situation. Louis is a true hero. If it weren't for him, I probably would have been sleeping during the fire. He started squawking fire. When I woke up, the fire was starting to spread across the living room floor. Uh... Oh, well, now it just turned sad. Are you reading along? Unfortunately, Louie and the family's pet dog didn't survive the fire. Come on now. But uh, Barbara's husband and their six-year-old granddaughter also escaped with their lives. Uh, According to... uh, Anyway, while the family has to find a new home, they say the community has been helping. Uh, People have reached out with clothing. The man who donated the apartment also gave us a baby parrot as well. We call him Louie Jr. My parakeet, Petey? He's dead. Oh, oh man, I'm sorry here. What happened? His head fell off. His head fell off. Yeah, he was pretty old. Oh, that's it. I've had it with this dump. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> that's terrible. I, t- I was going to apologize ahead of time, just like. That's nah. funny, though. That's dumb and dumber, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Tennessee again, McDonald's worker punched by customer over free cup of water. Isn't Ian in Tennessee Wait, what? right now? Isn't he in Tennessee right now? Hmm? How long has he been there? Long enough to punch someone over a free cup of water. It's fast food, yeah. A McDonald's worker was reportedly assaulted during a bizarre interaction with a customer. According to reports, a female employee was struck by a customer who was apparently angry after being offered a free cup of water. A second female employee was reportedly hit when she attempted to intervene. The incident occurred Friday at a McDonald's in Midtown, uh, Tennessee. According to the outlet, the 44-year-old suspect approached the counter and asked for a cup of water. The cashier reportedly informed the man that the cup would normally cost 32 cents, but since the system was down, she offered the cup for free. At this point, the suspect reportedly became upset and attempted to give the employee a $100 bill. After she returned it and wouldn't accept it, he reportedly began to hit her in the face. None of this makes sense. It doesn't make any sense at Police all. later, here's where it's going to make sense. Police later arrested the man and charged him with two counts of assault and possession of drug paraphernalia. Nice last one. original, yeah. Yeah, the last one's out of Australia. Baboons escape near Sydney Hospital, wander the city. Why not? A trio of baboons being taken to a Sydney, Australia hospital escaped from their transport truck and wandered through the area. New South Wales Health Minister Brad Hazard said a 15-year-old baboon was being taken to Royal Prince Alfred Hospital uh, and was accompanied by two younger female baboons to keep him calm. The primates escaped from their transport truck due to a faulty locking mechanism and went wandering in the area, prompting numerous reports to police of loose baboons in the area around the hospital. Traffic this morning is as bad as it gets. Due to a fire at the Army Testing Lab, a bunch of escaped infected monkeys are roaming the expressway. Despite the sweltering heat, don't unroll your windows because those monkeys seem confused and (laughs) irritable. That's a good one. Keith did a good job today. Yeah, he usually does. And y'all, you always know it's him. There's at least one or two Simpsons drops. That's a good always. point. That's a good point. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. Uh, hopefully, you'll join us tomorrow. We're going to be joined by author Dave Getz. And then we're going to be joined by another pastor friend of mine by the name of Greg Arthur. So that's a show you're going to want to hear. 
Uh, we'll be together from 4 to 6. Again, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hope for your life.